A Constitution for the Living. An unconventional new book chronicles America's constitutional conventions as they might have been. Hi, I'm Philip Blumel. Welcome to No Uncertain Terms, the official podcast of the Tournaments Movement for the week of February 21st, 2022. Your sanctuary from partisan politics. In the new book, A Constitution for the Living, Skidmore College political science professor Bo Breslin tells the story of the 2022 Constitutional Convention, where congressional term limits were finally proposed, approved, and sent down to the states for ratification. This tale follows his edge-of-the-seat recounting of America's other great constitutional conventions, those of 1825, 1863, 1903, and 1953. At that gathering in 1787, delegates from the several states proposed a replacement for the increasingly unworkable Articles of Confederation. The document the convention produced was a product of its time, influenced by the Enlightenment liberal ideas of the movers and shakers of that age. The success of that convention and the Constitution it produced has led to imitators across the globe and across time. Although we have seen about 150 constitutional conventions of one kind or another at the state level, A national convention, as in 1787, was never repeated in the United States. But what if it were? After all, Thomas Jefferson, a contemporary of the 1787 convention, argued that much of the legitimacy of the new constitution came from the fact that the generation that authored it would have to live under it. Not only was the U.S. Constitution a product of its time, he suggested, but it should be. As one generation should not control another, each generation should write its own constitution. Well, sorry, Mr. Jefferson. I don't buy that. Neither does Bo Breslin, as it turns out. We'll get to that. But what if Jefferson's idea is the starting point of Breslin's brain teaser, what if story of speculative history and speculative politics? Hence the book's subtitle, Imagining How Five Generations of Americans Would Rewrite the Nation's Fundamental Law. Breslin lays out the genuine historical background in each of the eras surrounding his imaginary conventions. The conventions are populated by those generations' leaders, real historical figures that he enlists to tackle the issues they championed and that characterized their times. Notably, Breslin's 2022 convention delegate, who introduced and shepherded the Congressional Term Limits proposal, is Philip Blumel, president of U.S. Term Limits. That's right, me. I spoke to Bo Breslin on the phone last week. Hey, Bo, welcome to the program, No Uncertain Terms. Thanks, Philip. Thanks for having me. I read your book over the holidays, and I loved it. It was a fascinating bit of, well, I don't know, and I was thinking about uh, what to uh, call the book before this podcast. I think I settled on speculative history. Is that fair? That is totally fair, yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because what you're doing, I guess, is really taking your knowledge of history, which is extensive on the subject, and then making some, um, positing some some possibilities, right? Correct. So where did this book come from? Uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about uh, the American founding. I'm a big fan of the founding fathers. And and it's fairly well known, Philip, that there was this interesting debate between Madison and Jefferson. And at one point I was talking to a student uh, at Skidmore, and we uh, we just kind of stumbled on the fact that what if Jefferson had won the debate uh, between Madison um, and he about generational constitutions, 
Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, the basic argument of the book is that imagine we live in a Jeffersonian world in which every generation or so writes a new constitution. What would those constitutions mm-hmm. have looked like in American history? Um, and right. so what we did, what I did was simply imagine constitutions throughout American history and write the stories of the convention. Interesting. Have you done any other work outside of this book on conventions and constitutional amendments? I've written a little bit. Uh, I'm a constitutional theorist. And what that basically mm-hmm. means, Philip, is I don't really pay much attention to what, uh, scholarly, I don't pay much attention to what the Supreme Court says about mm-hmm. uh, constitutions. I'm much more interested in constitutions as documents that kind of order our political lives. And so I've written about constitution, the American Constitution throughout my career, but I've never done anything quite like the speculative history. So this is a first mm-hmm. for me. I did not get the sense from reading this that you were advocating for the Jeffersonian you know, frequent <laughs> conventions um, or any particular issue or even actually con- constitutional conventions in general. Um, right. Am I right or did, did I miss something? No, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, I, you know, I like to think of myself as a, as a Madisonian. I'm, I'm a big James Madison guy, right? And Madison, okay. in his exchange with Jefferson, said no. You know, uh, an enduring constitution, one that now is 235 years old, is, you know, we need that for stability and credibility. So I am not a fan of the periodic constitutions, though it's an interesting mm-hmm. thought experiment to imagine what those would have looked like, but I would not be the first in line to uh, to advocate for periodic constitutional conventions. Right, right. In fact, I should I should note this so there's no confusion that U.S. Tournaments, the sponsor of this podcast, um, we definitely are trying to amend the Constitution using Article yep. Five in yep. calling for a amendment writing convention limited, explicitly limited by the resolution, limited to the subject of congressional term limits. And right. we actually adamantly and, and officially oppose the idea of a, of a wide-open convention. So I guess we share that sort of Madisonian view. You know, what's interesting right. is that the U.S. Constitution has—we've uh, only had one constitutional convention. And this Constitution has lasted so long and has been copied um, all over the globe and, of course, right. has lasted all this time. That's an argument and I think has earned the respect that Madison— uh, suggested was necessary for it to have to be a successful constitution. But, you right. know, you mentioned in the book a fact that I didn't know and I found fascinating is that the average life of a constitution globally is about 15 years or so. So Correct. in a sense, we have sort of, on a global basis, experienced the, the Jeffersonian idea a little bit too. Am I, am I yeah. reading too much into that? No, I don't think you're reading too much into that. You know what? I, I never miss an opportunity, Philip, to tell folks, uh, to remind folks that the American federal constitution, our U.S. constitution, our 1787 document changed the world, right? So at the time, uh, there were no national constitutions. Yes, there were state constitutions at the time, but the 1787 document is the longest enduring most stable constitution in human history. And now all but three countries in the world, right, New Zealand, Israel, and the UK, have written constitutions. So our constitution changed the world. The Mm -hmm. difference between our constitution and others is, as you point out, uh, most other constitutions don't last very long, 15 years, 
Some last a little bit longer. The average is 15 years. But our Constitution is kind of a testament to Madisonian thinking. And I, too, am not, as I said, I am not a fan of periodic mm-hmm. constitutional conventions. And when you are going to get together for an Article 5 convention, it has to be targeted. Mm-hmm. So term limits would be one of the most obvious uh, and, for me, one of the the best, you know, kind of uh, low-hanging fruit uh, in terms of changing mm-hmm. the, uh, the constitutional document. Yeah, I noticed that tournaments showed up even in the earliest um, conventions oh, yeah. in your book. And, of course, it showed up in right. the original real convention of 1787. And we'll get to right. that in a second. Um, yeah. You wrote about, I almost don't want to call them imaginary because there was so much factual information I got out of each of these <laughs> constructed conventions. I'm almost right. thinking of them as real now as, as after reading your book. But you created conventions of 1825, 1863, 1903, um, and then 2022, right? 1953. Oh, uh, 53. I, I, I yeah. missed 53, sorry. Yeah. And uh, which was your favorite uh, in constructing? Which was most fun? <laughs> well, so, yeah, this is, that's a great question. Nobody's asked me that question before. And I have to tell you, uh, my favorite was the 2022 chapter, but not for the reasons that most people would assume, right? So Hmm. uh, most people would assume that the 2022 imaginary convention um, was my favorite because it's contemporary, because it kind of Mm -hmm. uh, speaks to the issues of the times. It's the one that Ah, you and I are living through. You're a historian. I didn't think that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. So that wasn't the reason why. The reason why I liked uh, the 2022 convention was because the process that I had in crafting the narrative and imagining the 2022 convention was so different. And I'll explain it simply this way. In 1825, 1863, 1903, 1953, I could use real, you know, historical figures to tell the stories of, you know, what those conventions would have looked like. But in 2022, I have to use real people, right? I can't be, I can't be using the Booker T. Washingtons or the Daniel Webster's like I used before those who are long dead. I had to use real people. So it was a totally different process to call up folks like Mm -hmm. you. And I'll, I'll use Mike Bruni as an example. Michael Bruni is the executive director of the Sierra club. Um, I, I had never met him. But there's no doubt that if there was a convention at the moment, there'd be some conversation about environmental factors. And uh, I had to call him up, and he had to be a partner with me like you were a partner with me for term limits. So it was just super fun to connect with folks like you who really know what they're talking about and are interested in these targeted ideas. Mark your calendars, friends, for February 27th, my favorite day of the year. It's the day we celebrate throwing out the career political bums and making them get real jobs for the first time in their lives. Of course, I'm talking about National Term Limits Day. February 27th, it's the day in 1951 when term limits for the president were officially added to the Constitution. Now it's a day each year for all Americans to rally behind term limits for Congress, rally behind the term limits convention. We talk to our legislators, we wave signs, we write letters to the editor, 
We post on Facebook and Twitter. We sign new people up to volunteer for term limits on term limits day. If term limits are good enough for the president, for governors, for state legislators, for mayors and school board members, city council members, what makes Congress so special that they can serve for life? We need to end this insanity. We need to get back to the citizen government that our founders intended. And there's never been a better day to get involved and make your voice heard. February 27th is National Term Limits Day. Go to termlimits.com slash termlimitsday for more info. Let's go back to tournaments now. Um, it mm-hmm. came up in the 1825 convention. Um, yeah. And the context was restraining the power of the judiciary. Um, yeah. It came up in, in, well, it came up in several, just almost every single one in some context, even if yep. something didn't pass, it at least right. came up as part of the debate. In the 1953, you did have the presidential term limits uh, Correct. Ena- en- enacted. Um, Correct. Or proposed, I should say. This is a convention. Yeah. Um, so that's fascinating. So what is it about term limits that you think is so natural part of this process that it would keep reoccurring throughout all American history? Well, I think there's, uh, so I think a couple of, uh, a couple of things, one of which is a, a profound, um, how do I put it, skepticism about people in power. And Americans are skeptical of folks in power, and they're even more skeptical about folks in power who want to extend that beyond what most people believe is a reasonable amount of time. And so throughout history, if you take, for example, we'll go through them quickly, the 1825 judiciary term limit question, a fair number of people in 1825 would have been somewhat upset with the way in which the Marshall Court had kind of taken the Supreme Court to a different plane, right? And so moved it, gained so much power for the federal government that most people would have been pretty aggravated, especially sort of Jacksonian populace would have been pretty aggravated by the power of the federal judiciary in 1825. And so it's logical, Philip, at that point, for folks to say, if they're sitting down and writing a convention, to think about term-limiting federal court judges. A lot of states had term limits for state court judges. Why not have them at the federal level? And then, of course, in 1953, right, uh, as I sit there and imagine what conversations would have happened in the 1953 Constitutional Convention, so you have FDR. FDR dies 84 days and 82 days into his fourth term. Now the question becomes, okay, you know, do we pass a constitutional amendment like we have, or do we, if there's a convention right on the horizon, do we wait for the convention? And uh, I argue that they would have waited for the convention because there's no chance of having uh, another FDR in the interim between 1945 and 1953. And so... Mm -hmm. But they absolutely would have wanted to limit the number of terms the president can have at the 1953 convention. It is now logical, in light of all of the history, in light of the fact that I argue uh, that most people will argue that Congress is not as effective as it used to be, 
it is logical if there was a convention to in the next decade that term limits for congressional representatives, both House and Senate, would be one of the first things that they talk about at a constitutional convention. Right. And of course, it's, that passes the at the 2022 first. convention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, That's you know, I mean, you only have three institutions in 1925, 1953, and 2022. All three of them mm-hmm. were dealing in some way with the three major federal institutions and term limits. Which convention then was maybe the most difficult one to um, to create? Yeah, so that, that too is a great question. Um, and, and I should tell your listeners that these dates are not random, right? So just so everybody knows, Jefferson argued that every 19 years, that's when a generation turns over. I was not going to write a book where there was a constitutional convention every 19 years. That was both indulgent and boring. So what I did was I just simply took the life expectancy of the average American at the time of the convention and pushed it forward to see when the next convention would be. So, for example, in 1787, the average life expectancy of a white male was 38 years, was put to 1825. And then in 38 years was the average life expectancy of Americans. Then in 1825, too, which puts me right smack dab in 1863 in the middle of the, uh, of the Civil War. It was that mm-hmm. 1863 chapter that was the most difficult to write. And the reason is hmm. because you're, you're kind of in a situation where, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of, you know, basically dominoes, puzzle pieces. So. You know, one person said to me after after reading the book, would Lincoln have even won the, his second term if there was an 1863 constitution, new constitution? And I'm not sure the answer is yes. So, so it's mm. those sorts of interesting, um, it's those sorts of interesting kind of speculative, counterfactual moments that made 1863 really complicated. One thing I noticed that you did not spend much time on, and this might be partly uh, because, again, you didn't want it to be a thousand pages and, and starting to get right. dull, because this is not <laughs> not a dull book as it is, is um, you didn't spend much time on ratification. And so I, you get the sort of impression reading the book that to make the book work uh, the way you want it, I think you sort of assume that, that these things were ratified. Right. Yeah, um, at least big... I did as a reader. But in any case, you didn't spend much time on it. I just thought you might want to mention that. Uh, uh, Why not? Yeah, so uh, you are – I have to give you chops, man. Uh, You are an astute reader. Um, The fact (laughs) of the matter is – and the reason why I'm so impressed is it's very likely that at least one of these five uh, imaginary constitutions would not have been ratified, (laughs) right? Right. But the reality was it would have been a pretty dull – book if I if I had gone through the the uh, the entire process of imagining the conventions and then said, oops, April Fool's, this, you know, 1903 right. Constitution was never ratified by the people and we're kind of back to, you know, riffing off the 1863 Constitution or whatever. And so I kind of, you know, I just kind of took a, the liberty of assuming that each Constitution would have been ratified, but good noticing me, that because it's very possible one would not have been. Yeah, oh, definitely. But I think that was the right call. And you know, it's funny as you find as you're reading this book because it's a 
it's a thought-provoking book. I mean, you, you made these judgments and and speculations and used your imagination in the context of history, and it encourages the reader to do the same thing. So oh, I find yeah. myself, as I was reading it, thinking like, oh, I can see why you left that out, or I would like to do this, right. or why well, I would have done that. And so it encourages us to think about it in those terms, too. I, that's the impression I got from it. And that's one thing that, for me, made it a very enjoyable, enjoyable book. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I appreciate you sharing some more detail about this, and um, I definitely appreciate being included in the book as a delegate yeah. at a convention yeah. that you know I would <laughs> love to do in reality more than just about right. anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so I got to, I can live it vicariously through an imaginary version of myself until it actually right. happens, I guess. Um, so I thank you for mentioning our organization and, and myself personally, and I enjoy the book. And... Um, is there um, anything else you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? Yeah, you know, uh, the fact of the matter is uh, I'd like to you know, sort of publicly express my deep gratitude not only to you. You and I did not know each other from a hole in the wall when I called you up and said, would yeah. you be an imaginary delegate? And you were gracious and generous enough to say yes. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Um, you know, I wanted to go to the leading, the leading figure in this debate. I do think term limits is the most likely thing to to change at, at any moment in terms of an amendments and or a convention. But I so appreciated the fact that you were eager to step up and, and kind of play the game in a way that I needed. Um, and so both your organization and you yourself, uh, I can't I can't be more grateful. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Philip. Thanks for joining us for another episode of No Uncertain Terms. The Turn Limits Convention bills are moving through the state legislatures. This could be a breakthrough year for the Turn Limits movement. To check on the status of the Turn Limits Convention resolution in your state, go to turnlimits.com slash take action. There, you will see if it has been introduced and where it stands in the committee process on its way to the floor vote. If there's action to take, you'll see a take action button by your state. Click it. This will give you the opportunity to send a message to the most relevant legislators, urging them to support the legislation. They have to know you're watching. That's turnlimits.com slash take action. If your state has already passed the Turn Limits Convention resolution, or the bill's not been introduced in your state, you can still help. Please consider making a contribution to U.S. term limits. It is our aim to hit the reset button on the U.S. Congress, and you can help. Go to termlimits.com slash donate termlimits.com slash donate. Thanks. We'll be back next week. Find us on most social media at U.S. Term Limits. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, and now TikTok. STL. Yeah.